Good evening and welcome to the Dollar Dogs and Beer podcast. This is episode 82, Rest in Peace, Vita Blue. I am your host, Andrew, and with me tonight, as always, Jason and Joe. Gentlemen, it was a very interesting week in baseball this past week. Uh, how are you guys holding up? I know uh, uh, one of us had a really, really good week and uh, eh, maybe not so much for everybody else. <laughs> Jason, at least you had fantasy, man. <laughs> yep. That's about all I had, as the Phillies almost completed a winless week. It's true, you didn't have the perfect loss week, so that's good. <laughs> Joe, how are you holding up down there? <laughs> holding up, man. It's been it's been wild, both in baseball and in general. So I'm yeah, hoping things sort of level out at some point. That would be nice. That leveling out just in general would be a very very good thing, if you ask me. All right, so Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, tonight I am going with one of my all-time favorites. As we have been getting into some warmer weather here these last few days, it's absolutely gorgeous out. I am going with the Leinenkugel Summer Shandy. Love Summer Shandy. Uh, probably, aside from the stuff from Trillium Brewery um, in Boston, um, this is probably my favorite beer uh, from Leinenkugel's in uh, Wisconsin. Yes. I remember um, very specifically, I was hunting that down last year when I was up at Saucon Valley because it just, it you're, it's just a great summer beer. I'll say it is, it, it is absolutely summer when you drink it. Yeah. Joe, what do you have tonight? Uh, rocking the SoCo Mountain Dew in my NBC Sports Philadelphia glass tonight because um, I need to pick me up and so does Philly. <laughs> It really needs more than a pick me up in every sense of the word, both any sport, really. And I mean, and and it was interesting to get those bulletins, I think, on Friday or Thursday. Hey, if you're coming to the game, get here at like two o'clock. Yeah, yeah, dude, you're not kidding about that. The Phillies game and the Sixers. I mean, that was nuts. I, I was not upset that I sold my tickets for Friday against the Red Sox. Yes, I missed the return of Bryce Harper to Philly and I missed the ovation. But I am very glad to have not had to fight in that traffic and deal with that loss followed by the Sixers loss. So, I just, yeah, I, I I understand the concept of the um, of what Philly does with having the sports complex all in one area. It works great most of the time, except when you have more than one team going at once, and then it's just chaos well and and they had a repeat again on sunday yeah yeah um but the the thing with sunday was the sixers game at least started later it started while the phillies game was in like the eighth or ninth inning yeah um but the other thing here is um i will gladly take what where they currently are than what the sixers are going to be doing in 10 years which is moving into center city philadelphia near chinatown Um, what are they thinking with that? I... Be, they're they're going to revitalize that area of Philadelphia is apparently the thought. Um, with uh, and the flyer or the Sixers are basically moving to their own arena. The Flyers aren't going with them. Is going to be a basketball arena um, down in uh, South Philadelphia, basically. Um, and I am not thrilled because I'm like, why? Would I go to a Sixers game there? The park, there's going to be no parking. That's about to, is there even space in that area to build a new parking deck? 
I would think that they'll have to demolish buildings and create some parking. Um, like, and and it's not really the best and safest area. Not that Philadelphia is safe, but it's yeah. in one of the worst areas of Philadelphia. Um, and I'm just thinking, you know what? Make the Flyers play on a frozen Delaware River and just demolish the Wells Fargo Center and build the Sixers a new arena there. You know, yeah. like just keep it in the complex where it's easier access and more. It's, it's just a better area than doing that. Or um, somebody from work actually mentioned, um, I don't know if he's listening right now, but they mentioned send the Sixers to a, a create a place right near the river where you can have like a whole glass area looking out to the river. Like, yeah, I mean, that would be Union's, awesome. The union stadium on the river is awesome. Yeah. It's one of the best soccer atmospheres I've ever seen, honestly. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've been down to games at DC United before and um, it's night and day how much better it is in Philadelphia than it is mm-hmm. down in DC. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I just, I remember when they made that announcement and I was like, what in the hell are they thinking? That's yeah. one of the worst. Philly's had a lot of really bad ideas over the years. This might take the cake though. Yeah. Well, and the, the other bad part about the sports this weekend is everything was against Boston. So of course, every loss is just amplified because it's all from Boston and you have to deal with the Boston fans in every sport. My, uh, my friend, uh, Dan Stevens, who comments on our posts periodically, uh, known from the Donnelly days, he posted on either Thursday or Friday last week. It's going to be a good weekend. Five, no versus Boston, baby. After game one, all of us from our Donnelly that are baseball fans were jumping down his throat <laughs> over that. <laughs> as they as they should have. That so, was you know that, that was a bit that was a bit tough. Yeah. Uh tough receipt to leave out that, there. That was a terrible take. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> just, just a terrible take just to start with. Uh, well, now that yeah, we've anyway, trashed so what, sports, what are you drinking tonight? tonight? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Joe? I said what I said. <laughs> and I mean it. But I there was a uh there's a glare there. I couldn't quite see what you said. Ta-da-da. Ah, crap. It's the light across the way. There you go. Yeah, there I you go. What I said. Ah. I also have some uh, Purple Monkey dishwasher. It's uh, an Evil Genius kind of night over here. Love Evil Genius Brewing. Um, Jason, the I said what I said is that key lime margarita sour that I told you you should try, and I still say you should try. <laughs> All right, so let's roll into it tonight. Like I said, uh, we're going to start by honoring Vita Blue tonight. Um, He was a hard-throwing lefty. He was one of the biggest draws in baseball during the early 70s. He led the athletics to three straight World Series titles before his career was uh, derailed by drug problems. He died last Saturday at a hospital in San Francisco's East Bay Area of Medical. Um, He had medical complications stemming from cancer. The statement released by the Oakland A's, there are few players with more decorated career than Vita Blue. Vita will always be a franchise legend and a friend. He was the 1971 AL Cy Young winner and MVP. He went 24-8, and 1.82 ERA, 301 strikeouts, 24 complete games, 8 shutouts. That, Jesus. 
Um, he's one of 11 pitchers who won the MVP and the Cy Young in the same year. Um, after 71, he clashed with A's owner Charles fin- Charlie Finley over his salary. I know, shocker there. I mean, nobody ever ch- clashed with old Charlie over salaries. Um, he played sparingly in 72 when they won their first of the three straight titles, but he was a huge part of 73 and 74. But, you know, Shocker's relationship with Finley was a sign of things to come. After 74, Finley broke the entire team up because he didn't want to pay everybody. Um, after he clashed publicly with Finley, he tried to trade him twice, first to the Yankees in June of 76 and then to the Reds in uh, December of 77. Uh, Bowie Kuhn blocked both trades under his authority as commissioner to act in the best interest of baseball. Um, I, I d- couldn't find the details of what the trade was supposed to be, but I'm going to guess Finley was basically trying to get pennies for the dollar back for it, um, knowing what a shyster he really was, you know. So career record of 209 and 161, a 327 ERA, 2,175 strikeouts, 143 complete games, 37 shutouts. That was over 17 seasons. He played with the uh, Giants as well as with the Athletics and also played with the Royals. Six-time All-Star. He was the first pitcher to ever start an All-Star game for each league, the AL in 71, the NL in 78. Um, Giants president Larry Bear, he said Vita Blue has been a Bay Area baseball icon for over 50 years. His impact on the Bay Area transcends his 17 years in the Diamond with the influence he's had in our community. Um, After he was released by the Royals in in August of 83, actually had to serve three months in federal prison. He had fines um, for cocaine possession, and that was unfortunately, uh, he, he had a lot of substance issues throughout his life, cocaine, alcohol, whatnot. Um, he was actually suspended for the entire 84 season because of his drug use. Um, but, you know, despite that hell of a career and uh, hit one of his good friends from the A's, Dave Stewart, he tweeted, Vita Blue, rest in peace, my mentor, hero, and friend. I remember watching a 19-year-old phenom dominate baseball and at the same time alter my life. There are no words for what you've meant to me and so many others. My heart goes out to the Blue family. Uh, j- this is a real sad one, guys. I mean, he... he was truly one of maybe not the most iconic pitcher of the West coast, but he's got to be up there. I, you know, Koufax and whatnot, you know, they're going to make a lot of claims to that, but Vita blue. I mean, you think of West coast pitchers, he is one of the first that will always pop into my brain. Yeah. He was definitely one of the more dominant players and he's, he was kind of synonymous with those really good A's teams. So, um, yeah, it's really too bad that he had the drug issues that he did. Um, but yeah, cheers, Vita. And, um, you know, let's think about it. After the A's won three straight, the Yankees did it in the late 90s, and then nobody has even won two in a row since those Yankees. Just crazy to think about how dominant those athletics teams were. And then when you look at the state of the team now, it's really tragic how bad that franchise has become coming down from such great heights. All right. So, uh, Joe, you were at the, uh, Barnstormers game the other day. You got to see their new advertising sleeve. What do you think, dude? It's, it's garbage, man. Uh, first, first off, I mean, we were, we, uh, my wife and I were out for the game. Uh, our fourth anniversary was last week. So that was part of our celebration this weekend is going to, a, a the game there. Um, it's still a beautiful park. It always will be. Um, it's really neat. Um, but yeah, they, they have, not only do they have the blue sleeve and then a 
white and blue patch on it. But they also have a goodwill patch along the small of the back, too. Wow. So, oh, my God. So they, they kind of overdid it. Um, obviously, it, it looks awful in, in action. Um, to me, it's kind of confusing Yeah. why they did it. Uh, but it's – and it's – goodwill is, is on every cup holder, too. They've got a logo on every single cup holder throughout the ballpark. Oh, my God. So – they they clearly I guess either poured a lot of money in or decided to you know do some some good promotion for themselves throughout the year. Um, Jeez, that's nuts. Yeah, I mean it was it's one thing if it was just you know the blue and white patch on the sleeve, but it's a blue sleeve and it's just like it it doesn't make any sense to me. No, yeah. that. That's not even a tertiary color for the freaking. No, it, it's it's not even close to a color for the team. <laughs> I've got a lot of problems with goodwill as it is. I mean, right. for a company that gets all of their product through donation, the the amount of money their executives make is just obscene. Yeah. And their staff are not treated very well. They're not compensated fairly. Like, yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't be as upset about the sleeve or anything if it was like even if it was a different organization but there's no reason to have the sleeve an entirely different color from what your colors are just do what teams should do if you're gonna have an advertising patch make it the light yeah. patch on the on the shoulder or on the sleeve <laughs> D- don't make it a full color yeah Imagine how much how badly Mets fans would have flipped out with the uh, first patch be if they would have done a sleeve in Phillies colors too. Yeah, well, see, I mean, and now like now I can picture you know a, a left-handed pitcher or a batter playing like a blue sleeve going full sleeve going down, and they look like that they got their arms stuck in like a bat uh, an airplane toilet. You know, like uh, European vacation, just having just this blue arm. Yeah, it's it's the right sleeve too. So, like, if you're a left-handed hitter, th- that blue sleeve's the first thing the pitcher's looking at. And you know, I, I think it just it I think it's just messy and looks it looks terrible. I mean, it's one thing yeah. if you're going to do a logo, but to do the whole sleeve and then do another logo across the bottom of the jersey in the back, it's just. Yeah, they didn't show that in all of the uh, preview tweets. Yeah, it's almost one of those things where you have to like, you know, see it, be in a spot where you can see the the back of the of the guy's jersey, and it's like along the bottom. So basically, they gave all the players a goodwill tramp stamp. Basically, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it looks ridiculous. It looks ridiculous to me, and I just I couldn't stand it. You know. I... The only time I'm ever used to seeing the Barnstormers in some kind of blue is when they do the kids design our uniforms day and then raffle those off for charity afterwards. That's the only time you see blue in the Barnstormers, and that should be the only time you see blue in the Barnstormers. I that that's really disappointing how much uh, Goodwill has dumped into advertise. All all I've got to say for all this crap that they're doing to the uniform of the stadium, the Barnstormers better be getting a handsome handsome fee for all of this garbage. You certainly would hope they would. I mean, it's but it's it's everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah, it's ridiculous. All right, uh, Jason, Player of the Month for April. 
Yeah, so uh, MLB released their Players of the Month for April. Uh, they do player, pitcher, rookie, and reliever. And the Player of the Month for the American League was Matt Chapman of the Toronto Blue Jays. National League, it ended up being uh, one of your guys, Andrew, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. from the Braves. And then we go down to the Pitcher of the Month, my AL Cy Young uh, pick with uh, Garrett Cole of the Yankees for the American League. Who and then not win it again. <laughs> and the uh, apparently ageless wonder, uh, Clayton Kershaw from the Dodgers wanted for the National League. I, I, I don't agree with that one. I, I, I'm very I surprised don't. that I saw. Let me guess, Spencer Strider. No. Okay. No. Who, who, Actually, who you... I was at Str- Strider was number three on my who, list. Who would you have as number one? Go ahead, Joe. Justin Steele. Yeah. Guy has been lights out all yeah. year. Yeah. Um, and I, I was also Steele thinking uh, with uh, with the American League and Garrett Cole, I, I was also actually leaning towards Shane McClanahan of the of the Rays for that one. But... I wouldn't have argued that. That would have made more sense to me. I mean, especially given the success of the team. Not that you pin everything on a pitcher, but you know that, that might be the only bright spot in the Yankee organization right now. Yeah, and that that may be why he got that award because he was kind of the reason that the Yankees were doing what they were. Um, they're still in the basement currently, so yay. Um, the uh, the rookie of the month, uh, no real surprises here. Um, American League, you have Josh Young of the Texas Rangers, and you have James Altman in the National League for the Dodgers. And uh, reliever of the month. Um, not really a surprise in the American League. Uh, there were a couple people you probably could have gone with for this one. Um, it did end up going to Felix Bautista of the Orioles, uh, which I was completely fine with. Um, the only other potential one would have been uh, Josh Romano of the Blue Jays um, to me. Um, in the National League, uh, Josh Hader of the Padres took the award for April. Okay. Yeah, I don't have any real arguments with any of those. No. All right. So rolling into uh, fantasy baseball, uh, the week five of that was a mess. So uh, me and Jason were against each other, Acuna's Boomas and Turner and Chooch. And what started as a 15-11 lead for me on Sunday ended with a 15-11 win for Jason. Yeah, buddy. Bullshit. And uh, <laughs> Ronnie's rough start to the season continued as Joe smashed him into the dirt. Happy and Hornersby 17. Schmidt happened. <laughs> smashed him into the dirt. Uh, Although, Ron- Ronnie was quick to point out he finally had a double digit total for the week. So, yeah, hey, take the positives, <laughs> man. Um, but, dude, what, what the hell? was going on with our pitching this week, Jason. <laughs> oh, man, that was so bad. Um, it's it's really not good when you win the uh, ERA category with an almost five ERA. Um, what were you at, seven and a half or something like that? Uh, I think it was, it was in the sixes. It was closer to like six or six and a half, I think. Um, I, I, I can look that up real quick. But, um, well, I mean, the thing was, I mean, both of our, like all of our starters didn't really do much. I mean, we got a lot of innings pitched. You took that one like 63 to 61. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, I was able to take 
um I think it was strikeouts and I had a couple smaller carries. My big wins came this week in offense. Um yeah, which my my team apparently decided to stop playing offense after on Sunday when I needed them to keep it going. Oh yeah. Yeah, they they absolutely fell apart because uh my guys actually were getting hits, getting runs, doubles, home runs. Um it was I mean, hey, my crazy. Braves players performed well. It was the rest of my freaking team that didn't. Yeah, so the ERA, uh, you ended up winning with a 4.14. My ERA uh, did end up going down to a 5.28. Oh, my um, God, that's hideous. And that's hideous. Uh, let's see. So uh, the key things here, neither of us ended up getting a triple from our team. Mm-hmm. Um, you only had four stolen bases, but that was good enough for the win. I took K's by one, 54 to 50. Or you took K's by one, 54 to 53. Mm-hmm. Um our teams were not good defensively this week. No, I ended up, I ended up, I ended up winning by having three errors because your team had four. Yeah. Um, my guys did hit a uh, average of three fifteen this week, so that was much improved. Um, I took four. I had four wins for my pitching staff and seven losses. Yeah, dude. When I saw your loss, I was like, well. No matter what happens, I'm not catching that. Yeah, and I and I I felt the same way about the wins. I'm like, well, he only has a couple guys left, so barring some random reliever wins, I should have that one. Um, we tied at home runs given up, which was nine. Um, Ooh, I, I I won the K category, seventy six to seventy three. Yeah, there were. Um, you, know, you know, that's exactly what happened last time too. We had a ton of categories that were five or less. Yeah, uh, fifty-eight to sixty-one in hits. You got that one. So, but yeah. but I mean, the thing is, like a lot of these offensive categories, um, like doubles, uh, you took that one twenty-two to eighteen. But I took home runs fifteen to fourteen, RBI forty-six to forty. So once once Judge gets off the IL this week, I think my offense is going to improve again. Cause I think that's, that that's really been hurting and Seager should be coming back so I can get some of my less performing bench guys back in the free agent pool and, uh, you know, roll again. Yeah. Uh, Joe, man, you dude, you're rolling right now. Speaking of hot teams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun actually. Um, the last couple of weeks. I mean, the our match, Jason, last week, I think it was um two weeks ago. Because you and I you and I play again coming up this yeah, week. Two weeks ago, um, or so it was like it came down to Sunday afternoon and I'm like, oh God. <laughs> um, I, I expect another battle this week. Yeah. This um I mean, I took all but four categories on the pitching front, so that certainly helped um quite a bit. Um the, I mean, offensively, I, we, my guys did just enough, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's fun to kind of keep track of it a little bit. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting lucky as far as having too many guys from, from my team on my team yeah. <laughs> because I have the right guys on my team, <laughs> thankfully. Um, yeah. I, I keep waiting for that luck to run out and it hasn't yet. Um, I did Joe just for fun. I did a comparison of our weeks last week in anticipation of tonight for us to talk about it. Had you and I faced each other last week, it would have been a score of 13 to 12. Um, I would have ended up coming out on top with that one, but I I, I was just curious to see what happened. And 
we were very, very well split as far as the uh, the offense and the pitching goes. You you would have taken a little bit more in the pitching, I think, because um, your starters did better than mine, obviously. Um, but but I, I dominated. I would have dominated. Did better than yours, yeah. Jason. But but I would have dominated you as far as the strikeouts and um, uh, innings pitched and things like that. But yeah, yeah, it's it's. It is fun, I think, um, trying to remember to take care of lineup issues and whatnot. What I hate about fantasy baseball, particularly on Sunday, is you have that that stupid peacock game that starts at eleven thirty or whatever it is. You need yeah. to remember to get that lineup set. Well, and it's not yeah. even just that, but like if if you you know set a lineup and it's like it, let's say in my case it's Sean Murphy instead of Adley. And then I find out an hour or two later when the lineup is announced that Murphy's not playing. And it's like, you suck. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, that's the part I hate yeah, about I, it. I, I'm some of the lineups aren't, aren't, you know, obviously aren't released until they have to be. But it's like with that early game, it really can screw you up. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I don't like 1130 starts anyway. Um, and Ronnie, the, the big thing for him this week is his bats are finally starting to wake up. He had a ton of guys that shouldn't be on the cold streaks they have been on that have been ice cold, so they're starting to come around. So hopefully Ronnie can start picking some games back up. Looking at the standings right now, Jason's still leading at 78-48-14. Joe's 11 games back at 67-59-14. and 14. I'm 17 and a half back, 61-66-13. And, and Ronnie's 31 and a half back at 47-80-13. All right, guys. So let's move on to what's become a real, really, really hot button issue um, of parents and fans, and even in some cases, coaches, just being absolute and utter assholes to officials or umpires in um, youth sports, which is just so far beyond unacceptable to me that it's not even funny. So a little league over New Jersey, Deptford Township, they have come up with a way, they've come up with a plan to counter this issue. If you as a parent or a fan argue with umpires they are going to force you to become an umpire for three games before you're allowed back into the complex as a fan. So if you don't want to be an umpire, well, guess what? You're not coming to any more games. You are banned from the facility. Brian Barlow, the founder of Offside, it's a Facebook page that calls out bad behavior among youth sports parents. He said, quote, parent people are very comfortable making officials uncomfortable. So it's about time that we've reversed the trend and started making people uncomfortable who are harassing officials. And I, fr frankly, I completely agree with that. And this, the really sad thing, guys, this has been an issue locally too. Um, over at Spooky Nook, back on April 29th, the Hoop Group Spring Jam Fest, that's um, an AAU event, involved 400 teams of teenage boys in hundreds of games across their 30 courts uh, from all over the country, I believe. There was a brief and ugly incident that blew up on social media during a timeout in a 16-under game between Team Attack of Loudoun, Virginia, and uh, oh, shout out to Loudoun County, Virginia, where my aunt Denise and Uncle George live, and the uh, pro-level Titans of New York City. One player from each team, they're being helped up off the floor by teammates. And this is all from a video that is still available online. Uh, parent of one of the parent of one of the team members posted it. Um, 
you know, players being helped up during a timeout. One of the referees, a male, and the Titans coach became engaged in what looked like a confrontation with very aggressive body language. Then the coach shoved the official. The official immediately went into a boxing stance. The coach kicked at the ref, and the two confronted each other in fighting stances, moving across the court, sporadically making contact with each other for a long moment. Another ref, a female who I believe is actually a teenager uh, from the video, or not much older than that, um, fine, and she's a foot shorter than both of them, finally got in between them, and after much posturing, the two finally backed off and were taken away from the court. Um, they forced the Titans to forfeit the game. They were removed completely from the event, which was 100% the right thing to do. The East Hempfield Police Department announced that it's investigating the fight. They've ID'd the coach and the referee. They're not going to release any further information. They don't want to jeopardize the investigation at this time. Um, Doug Kraft, who's a local coach for Lancaster Elite, he's taking a year off, so he's just um, he's was just a spectator at this point. Um, he said, quote, it's a shame. It's embarrassing, actually. Somebody or more than one person had a bad day. I had a bad day might be the biggest understatement of the day so far. Um, that, that's a little more than just a bad day. But uh, I, th- this has become an, such a bad issue. Like, I remember, you know, when I played Little League, you know, we all stood out there. We said the Little League pledge, um, you know, and our umpires – were they perfect? No, they weren't perfect, but they, you know, they did fine. And they usually called the game pretty fairly both ways. And I remember specifically, I was in, uh, was I middle school? I think it was when I was in middle school. Um, Josh Buckwalter got mouthy with the referee and he promptly tossed him from the game. And his mom, after the game, made him come back to the field to apologize for his actions towards the umpire. That's how we should be handling this. We shouldn't be screaming at the umpire from the stands. Like these people for the most part are volunteers. They're not being paid. And that's actually one reason why I really like the, like uh Deptford Township's solution, you know, because their umpire and crew is all volunteer staff. So they're not, you know, you're not making people that get paid lose some money. I would have a problem if they had a paid staff of umpires that would then not be getting paid because some mouthy parents need to uh, do some time. Uh, what do you think, guys? I, I completely agree. Um, this is a really good idea for Deptford. Um, I hope to see more Little League uh, organizations develop this because, it's absolutely ridiculous. Again, what you said, the the umps are volunteers uh, for the most part. So they're doing it because they love the game. They're doing it because they just they want to umpire. Like they they just like doing it. They want to help the game grow. Um, and a lot of them tend to be very active in the community. Um, like I, I remember a few umpires that, you know, you would see them throughout uh, the year. Like you, you would actually be going to school with their kids, you know, things like that. So, and there are umpires that, I mean, we know we see it in the majors and things like that. Certain umpires have certain zones and you need to try and adjust to it. Like there was, um, I remember he actually ended up being one of my coaches uh, before he became an umpire. He was, uh, I think he's still alive. He's a great guy. Great guy. I absolutely loved him. Um, and his theory was 
you can hit the ball if you don't swing the bat. If you have two strikes on you, if it's close and you don't swing, he's going to rein you up because he wants you to take the hack. Um, and I remember he he called me out on a strike three one time. I turned, I looked at him, and he goes, can't hit the ball if you don't swing the bat, Jason. I'm like, <sighs> and, and walked back to the dugout. Like, I think I remember which umpire you're talking about because he rang me up on a couple occasions too, and I yeah. probably should have taken a hack at it. Uh, it was uh, Jay. Um, yep. Uh, yeah, his, I can't his daughter, that. his daughter Amanda, uh, played with us. Um, and you know, one other thing that's going to bother me now. <laughs> and one other thing, a lot of these umpires, especially maybe not so much in baseball, but especially in soccer, I've noticed those are teenagers that are doing the refereeing for the youth matches. Martin was the last name, Jay Martin. Yep, Jay Martin. Yeah. He was he's such a such a nice guy. I I, I don't know honestly, what he's up to now, but and honestly, he you know, even when he was pushing you to swing, he he still called a pretty damn fair zone. Oh, he was a really he was a very good umpire. A, a amazing coach. Amazing coach. But anyway, what like I said, it, you see it especially with youth soccer. These are teenagers. Like these are teenagers refereeing the game, whether they're the side or whether they're the head. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of teenagers out there that are getting referee certification that are, you know, they're doing it on the side to pick up a little bit of money or to pick up a little bit of experience or just because they love the game and they've already played their game, but they're not ready to leave the field and go away. Like, come on, folks. How do you feel berating a teenager because they're human and they might have made a mistake or they took a a close call that just didn't go your way? Because I'm sorry, that's sports, man. Yeah. Give me a break. And, and it's not like, and I know that we talk about, you know, umpires and those and whatnot. And yet we are notorious for going after uh, Angel and CB and whatnot. There's a big difference between to the be money fair, that they're making and the volunteer work from Little League. Plus, they've got a long track record of deserving the criticism that is levied. Absolutely. Joe, what are your thoughts? You've been a little quiet down there. <laughs> well, um, look, I, um, I mean, you know, t- 10 years as an athletic trainer, I've seen my share of disgruntled parents. Let's put it kindly. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, you, we need to start, you know, holding these parents accountable. I love what Deptford is doing um, with this. Um, I, you know, it, it's having, you know, in – in regular sporting events, having a ticket is not an excuse to be a complete jackass. We say that all the time when something happens inside stadiums when we talk about it here. Um, and, and the same thing goes for every level of the sport. You know, if you're at a, a, a park for a, a Little League game, look, I, I could see thinking if it's close and going, you know, maybe, maybe reacting, saying ooh or something like that or whatever. That's different. Yeah. If, if, you're, if you're, you know, verbally accosting a guy, who's just trying to, you know, again, like you said, at the little league level, you're volunteering your time, um, you know, to, to help with this, help grow the game. And, and it's just not necessary. I mean, look, I, uh, I mean, I've had my share of interesting thoughts about referees in the high school level. I mean, 
again, it's a step up from the little league because they're getting paid to do it. Um, so there's ex an expected, you know, an, an expectation of some sort of regular correctness, <laughs> you know, or at least consistency up, as, as you move up the ranks, um, you know, but, but it doesn't give fans at any level and, and particularly parents in this case, the, the right to be this way, like just grow up guys. Like, it, you know, you're, you're going to number one, embarrass yeah. yourself. You're going to embarrass your kid. And you're, you're going to be all that that entire team talks about for the next week. Joe, yeah. it sounds like that they need to read the room. It's funny you should say that. That's really pretty much it. what I was going for here. You know, it, it's time for, for parents. And in the case of the, the incident spooky note that you mentioned, it's time for parents, coaches, honestly, and players, because I've seen it in my experience, to, to grow up. Okay, not everything is going to go your way. Not every ball is going to be bounced in the right spot. Not every ball is going to be a strike that should be, and not every strike is going to be a ball if it should be. Like at some point, you've got to understand that you know sports are at the youth level in particular are about having fun and and enjoying the game. Um. You know, and and in, at the youth level, it's just ridiculous. It's absolute garbage um, to see this kind of crap happen. Uh, again, as you move up, maybe you can be disgruntled about a call or think that they missed something, but to verbally and physically accost these guys it's just, and and girls is just stupid. Yeah, absolutely stupid. Buying, like I said, buying a ticket to a sport doesn't give you the right to be a complete jackass. And I don't care how good your kid is in high school. It doesn't give you a right to be a jackass there either. You know, and the odds of a high scholarship. Yeah, I'll say the odds of a high school kid playing Division One college ball or making it to the majors are very low. And, and really, little league and and things like that. It's about building up social skills. It's about enjoying the game. I mean, learning about sportsmanship. What kind of example are the parents setting for their kids? Exactly. So that it's more than just a game. It's more a. It's also about developing the skills in the young generation for the future. Right. You know. You know. Back in uh, fall of nineteen, I was um, one of the coaches for my kids' um, soccer teams through Latitude Soccer Club. And, um, me and me and the uh, head coach, Jesse, we had a great working relationship at the level our kids were at. Um, we didn't have referees. We split, we split our teams into two squads. We played another team. We split their team into two squads. We played two games and the coaches were on the field and the coaches took care of the refereeing and all of that and watching the clock and everything else. And I remember one game. Um, this, the assistant coach was unavailable for that game. And one of the parents um, stepped in. I was like, I would almost rather do this myself, but this was a team that had a lot of kids that were playing way too aggressively for U8 soccer. And he turned around to his kids and said, you'd pull that crap again. You're sitting and you're not coming back into this game. And at halftime, I went up and said, thank you. I wasn't sure how hard I should have handled it. He's like, I'm a PIAA soccer referee. 
I don't stand for that crap. They need to be taught right now that this is soccer and not football. Thank you. So, yeah, you know, it, it is important too, like you said, to con- sort of control the game and, and, yeah. and instill some of this early. Um, and, and it's honestly, I think one of the, the, the reasons for a lot of this is the specialization with kids, the year-round competition with kids, you know, and, and the the honestly, you know, for what it's worth, and I could be awful for saying this, but I think you know, AAU and travel ball and all that crap is a racket. It really is. Yeah, complete it, agreement. It, it, it's a complete money racket for, for these coaches and, and organizers. You know, it drains money from these parents. And it's, you know, not everybody is going to, A, go to college at all, B, play sports in college, and C, it's just it's just ridiculous. We, we've created a, a, a culture of kids who think, that they're the best thing on the planet in any particular avenue, and they're not. Yeah, well said, well said. Um, I, I know in the LNP article, um, a local PIAA referee for basketball said they wouldn't, they don't touch AAU events with a ten foot pole. They want nothing to do with the abuse that they get from the players, the coaches, and the fans. It's just not worth the amount of money they want to give to the referees for that. Yeah. And and in all those years of of work that I did in the school, there were plenty of parents who I really wanted to say, here, take a whistle. Can you do it better? If you can't do it better, shut the hell up. Yeah. And if you can't, if you can't handle being criticized as a parent, then that's on you. Yeah, absolutely. No argument for me. All right, Joe, anybody else need to read the room? Yeah, uh, Major League Baseball needs to read the room for more reasons. I mean, we talked about this before, but the the streaming stuff and, and getting everything on the same platform, I wish they would just finally figure that out and be done with it. I know I've said it before. Um, but the other thing that really drives me nuts is this having to get, you know, special paperwork in if you expect an ovation. It's just garbage, Okay. Like, let's, you know, C.B. Buckner tonight. Obviously, the Cardinals did their paperwork and all this crap. But if you're if you're the home plate umpire, Wilson Contreras used to play for the Cubs. Obviously, you know that. You've been around the game long enough. Like, why the hell does do the Cardinals have to put paperwork in because they're coming back to Wrigley for the first time all year, and you know you're going to get some sort of ovation of some kind, whether it's friendly or, or nasty. And frankly, I wish it was more nasty, but more on that later. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, well, I, I just wish that that we would stop with this crap about having to, you know, put in paperwork. Everybody knows these people. You, you can't tell yeah. me these umpires don't know ahead of time. You know, when when the when the Cubs were in LA, oh, Dodger used to play for the Dodgers. There's a chance the fans might want to give them some love, like or. It's or how stupid. about how about a guy is hit a guy just hit for the cycle the ball's already back out to the pitcher and the fans are giving him a standing o uh, stop use your brain stop the clock let the player acknowledge the fans and then start the clock up again like yeah. come on we we've shaved enough time off the games we can we can let a little bit slide so that the players and fans can have that positive interaction for god's yeah. sake um, I mean, and even look look at Bryce Harper's return to Philly. 
on Friday night. Um, the Phillies got the paperwork in, and he had a very long ovation because it was his first time back in Philly since his uh, Tommy John surgery. And, you know, you shouldn't need approval to do this. The The umpire and the league should just know, hey, this is going to happen. Um, I, it's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, and, and even going further with like needing to put a brace on, get, yeah. Give the give the player an opportunity to get a brace on instead of calling a strike on the next batter. It, it it's absolutely idiotic in that case because I didn't see that live, but you mentioned it. Like you're all about player safety. You're all about trying to do certain things right. The player needs this to play. Get over yourself. Screw the fucking clock, and relax. I mean, it's, how long does it take him to put the thing on? Thirty seconds a minute. I, come on! I mean, I, <laughs> One I, I, mean, I guarantee minute. you. Like, like I said, in my in my years in athletic training, I'm not putting my kit, my guy out there if he's not properly equipped with what he needs to have on. Screw your pitch clock! I don't give a shit. And um, Ronnie just commented in. You're absolutely right. That's all MLB cares about right now. You got to cut the time on the game. But, We've cut enough time off. And, We've cut and, more than but enough. But here's time. the thing with that. Here's the thing with that, right? You're, you're cutting time off of the game because you're trying to, you know, you're, you say you're trying to grow the game and expand the fan base. It's stupid, okay? People are either going to love baseball or they're going to hate baseball. It doesn't matter if you make it an hour game. It doesn't make you matter if you make it a four-hour game. People are going to either love the sport or hate the sport. You're not going to change it by making the game a half hour shorter. You're just not. People don't want to spend two hundred plus dollars for a family of four to go to a game that's over in an hour and a half or two hours. It's not about people that like baseball will watch the games on TV. People that don't like the baseball will find something else to watch. Um, it, it's it should be about the fan experience and. People aren't going to want to go to people don't want to spend all this money to go to a, a short two hour game. It's not getting their no. money's worth. Nope. Especially no. not the price of food and beer. Yeah. No, you're, you're gonna end up hurting the the sport overall, I think, with the, the casual fan who who kind of plans for a all day experience and everybody kind of knows like you're accustomed to it as a baseball fan if you've gone to, or if you've just gone to games over the last 20 years. Hey, seventh inning stretch. It's my last time to get a beer. Yeah. And, and Joe, now, do they need to change that? Do they need to make it later? I, it's just stupid. Joe, you just nailed it with the right word too. The experience. It's what it, that's what should be the most important thing. What is the experience? And I don't know that speeding up the game this much is making it a better experience. I would, I would, argue against it actually now I, I will say this i do as as trying to catch a game here and there on during the week it's a lot easier for me to do that mm -hmm. because it's a little quicker it's nice but, for west coast too yeah but at the same time it's ruining the stadium experience the the people don't want to go to a game and spend uh two innings waiting for food or drinks yeah. Because that's what happening. What's happening is people yeah. are missing multiple innings 
to try and get food because you're halfway up the steps and the first and the first half innings over. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I, I hate that part of this. I wish they would just, you know, if you want to have a pitch clock, that's fine. But you know, no when to turn it off, no when to turn it back on. I mean, when, when I worked in the high school, you know, we had a, if we had a basketball player who's on a thousand points, you know, he's got this many points to go or something like that in the middle of the game, you know, it's going to happen. Right. There's that conversation before the game, like, Hey, you know, she's too, he or she is two points away. So the first basket or two is going to be a thousand points. Okay. The ref knows that ahead of time and they stop the game and they just go, okay, we're going to let this moment breathe. Like we talked yeah. about before, let the moment breathe. I'm so tired of this rush to get the game over. Yeah. It's absolutely terrible. And Ronnie nailed it again, missing 30 minutes for a freaking hot dog. Yep. I, I or or uh, on Dollar Dog Night, missing about an hour, yeah, hour and a half. That's that that's a whole different issue in and of itself, too, with how yeah. Philly has that set and, up. And on Saturday night at the at the Barnstormer game, people missed like four innings. I saw these people in the first inning, you know, mid first inning, maybe between first and second inning, and I didn't see them again till like the sixth. Yeah, like it, it, it's absolutely asinine. Like it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. My last thing for read the room is the St. Louis Cardinal organization. I'm going to throw some love out to Zach here tonight because I know he's feeling like shit right now with the way the Cardinals are playing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we talked about it. I'm sure Zach's talked about it. What was one of the number one needs for the St. Louis Cardinals this year? Pitching, Mm -hmm. right? Starting pitching was their number one hole. And, and what did they do? <laughs> and what did they do? They spent a, they gave a five year deal to a, a washed up catcher. To be fair, they did also need a catcher after Yachty retired. Well, well, they did need a catcher. I'm not saying that that wasn't the right idea, but you've got you brought Jordan Walker up to start the year, who wasn't hitting for shit in spring training. You had, you know, they have a, a plethora of outfielders. And the last thing you want to do is, is, you know, you, now you're going to make Wilson a DH and you're going to move the DH in, you know, into the field again, where he's maybe not as, not as good. It, it's idiotic. We knew their problem was pitching and every Cardinal fan knew that every Cardinal podcast knew that apparently the Cardinal front office missed a freaking boat. This, <laughs> this front office has been one of the best, most reliable front offices for years. This organization has been reliable for years. And the biggest time you need to make things right, replacing a legend at catcher and a, you know, way, way past prime has been ace who you brought back for no reason whatsoever. You have so many damn outfielders. You could have traded some of them away to bring in a good starter or two. And this is an entirely different season. Yeah, in the race of the uh, 80-year-old pitchers using a walker, Clayton Kershaw's winning that one right now. Yeah, and it's not even close. No. And Ron said uh, he saw they might play him in the outfield now. Yeah, that's Actually, that's a that, that's a great idea. Let's put a let's put a former catcher who never had good speed to start with in the outfield. And what's what's what the thing is here is that 
actually, I, there was some rumor of that, but the the office, the front office today, said that's not the case. They're just planning to DH him. So DH between DH and catcher, basically. And and their biggest Honestly, thing is they were they were talking about how, you know, they they were saying they're not blaming Wilson, but he's the only guy that you're switching positions on. So you're blaming all of this on Wilson Contreras. Now we know Wilson is not the best defensive catcher. We all know yeah. that. Cardinal fans knew that. But if you're going to put all of this blame on him, the guy who skipped the World Baseball Classic so that he could get more acquainted with the pitchers, and for whatever reason, the Cardinals didn't do their job in getting him prepared to catch this staff. It's it's absolutely asinine. I feel awful for Cardinal fans, including Zach. And I think that the Cardinals front office needs to Maybe listen to some podcasts. Maybe listen to some fans more. More. Maybe we need fan fan votes on free agency decisions. Let's start this shit. Because <laughs> I guarantee you, the Cardinals would be in a much better position if 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 the Cardinals front office would just read the room. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, one one other quick read the room uh, that that I think you forgot about: Zach Eflin and his wedding ring. Zach Eflin is a a right-handed pitcher. During games, he wears a silicone wedding wedding band. You could clearly see it was silicone when the umpires made him take it off, and it was stretchy. I understand the rule says you're not allowed to wear a ring on the field. It was inside his glove. It is in no way affecting the ball. You cannot use a silicone ring to put scratches on the ball to alter the flight. We're not talking about Rick Honey cutting his thumbtack or anything else like that. MLB umpires, we will probably say this every week for multiple reasons. Read the room. Yeah, and I actually, you know, not only do they need to read the room, but I'm actually going to go after Zach Eflin for a minute here. As a happily married man, and I know I'm happily married, don't take your damn wedding ring off. I would rather have gotten kicked off the field than take my ring off. Yeah. That was not the direction I thought you were going to go with that. No, absolutely not. I, there are there are seldom occasions, if any, that I take this wedding ring off. And if you're – I'm pissed at him. I, I'm like, look, I, I would take the ejection. I don't give a shit. <laughs> you're pitching out of your mind already. You already had the game, I think, in the bag at that point as a win because he had already gone five innings. Yeah. Take the damage action. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that would have been a good time to stick to, to take a stand on something absolutely ridiculous, especially because he's wearing a silicone ring, you know, just dumb. I mean, I wear my rings at work and I work around heavy, around heavy machinery. Maybe not always the best idea, but I'm also not sticking my hand inside anything because I sit in a lawnmower. So all right. So uh, after all that being said and done, <laughs> let, let, let's move on to uh, a team that had a great week last week. My wonderful Atlanta Braves. They had a really whacked out schedule because for some reason the Braves schedule or MLB scheduled the Braves a four game series from last Friday through last Monday. As we mentioned last week, that all got foobarred because of the weather that they knew about Monday last week as we were on the air, I might add. And so um, I'm not going to go through the whole Met series, obviously. I'm just going to quick mention they did split the doubleheader. Um, so they took two out of three total for the series. That fourth game was rescheduled for August for yet another doubleheader because that's exactly what the Braves and the Mets need during the dog days of summer is another doubleheader in there. 
Um, they swept the Marlins in the road, which I was really happy to see that. I was expecting two out of three there because the Marlins generally do play better at home. And then they took two out of three from the Orioles at home. And I'm very happy about that because the Orioles have been very, very good this year so far. Very happy to say that, too, for our, our um, Orioles fans. So uh, with the Mets, a lot of offense uh, in that first game. Murphy had a three-run homer in the first. Um, Pilar had a homer in the second, a two-run in the second. Acuna had a solo shot in the second right after. Alonso had a three-run shot in the third. Batty hit a solo shot. Murphy had a second three-run shot in the seventh. Escobar had a solo, solo shot off Minter in the ninth. But the Reds, Mets rally fell short. I mean, the, the, the balls were flying out of uh, the ballpark in New York that day. Strider, he had eight strikeouts in five innings, but three walks, four and runs. So not his best game, but he still picked up the win. You're welcome, Jason. I also appreciate the strikeouts. Not so much the ERA, but. And the walks, but hey. Yeah. You know, you know he's had he's had two two starts already this year with no walks and 10 plus K. So I don't want to hear it. I think you can deal with it. Yeah. Um, game two, Alvarez hit the go-ahead double for the Mets in the sixth after the Braves took a three-to-two lead half an inning before. Um, this was interesting. The, Bra- the Mets actually used Robertson for a two-inning save, and I can't remember the last time he's done that. Uh, so, <laughs> you're welcome, Jay. Not with Philly. Yeah. Um, they did have to, to be fair, they used a ton of bullpen guys in game one because for some reason they decided to go bullpen game. I, I I don't understand why you go bullpen game in a doubleheader, but okay. Um, McGill pitched well, five and two thirds, four hits, three runs, three walks, four Ks. No decision, though. Uh, Morton took the loss, five and a third, six hits, four and runs, three walks, six Ks. Not a terrible game for Morton. He just didn't have it in the Braves offense. Uh, ran out of gas in the second game. So in the Marlins series, so the Braves have now beaten Alcantara twice this season. Um, he only took a loss in one of the games, took a no decision in the first one. Um, Bryce Elder pitched an absolute gem, seven innings, three hits, six strikeouts. Uh, he's providing great, great work for the Braves out of the number five slot in rotation right now, um, which will probably be the number four slot coming up with Kyle Wright being hurt. Um, Albies had a homer, a double, Acuna had a double and an RBI, still his 14th base. He was leading the NL at the time. Guys, Alcantara's been struggling, and I know this very well because he was one of my top, uh, my two or number three pitcher I drafted this year. He threw a shutout versus the Twins on April 4th and then has gone one and three since then with a 740 ERA. Hmm. I remember the Phillies absolutely rocked him. Yeah. Um, and the Bra- This is something the Braves do very well against him. They drive his pitch count up quickly and early. He only got through five innings, and that was at 103 pitches. Three runs, six hits, and he was also wild. Three walks, two hit batsmen, five strikeouts, but still. And just two at-bats against him. Matt Olson faced 19 pitches on his own. One was a strikeout, and I think one was a single. But st- 19 pitches and just two at-bats. That's how you get to it. you got to drive that pitch count up and force him from the game. Um, in game two, the Braves went deep six times. Marcelo Zuna, who I've been continuously complaining about since the start of the season, and had one of the coldest bats I have ever seen to start a season. I think he was down at 0.077 at one point for his batting average. So far below the Mendoza line, Mendoza's standing up there laughing at him. Um, he opened the game with a grand slam. Harris had a two-run homer. Ozzie had a pair of solo shots. Acuna had a three-run shot. Riley had a two-run shot. And then um, 
it was good that that all happened because Kyle Wright is once again hurt. He only, he, he left with a shoulder soreness and um, imaging did not come back. Well, he's going to be on the IL to rest yet again. So that's frustrating to lose him again. And then in game three, Ozuna hits another home run. <laughs> go figure. Olsen also had a home run. The ba- He could still go to hell. Oh, completely agree. I can't stand him. Um, that said, it was his third home run in two games. He hasn't done that in two years. Um, Acuna picked up his 15th steal, uh, seven games versus Miami this season. The Braves have hit 19 home runs. The only game they didn't hit a home run was the five to four loss in 427 when Miami put up a five spot against Minter in the ninth to come back and win. Acuna's on base streak at this point was up to 23 games. Guys, th- here's your crazy stat this year Miami against the Mets and the Braves, three and 11, against everybody else in the league. 13 and five. That's the Marlins for you. And then I'm not going to go through the whole Orioles series. I just wanted to make a uh, couple quick notes here. Uh, The Braves took that one three, two. It was a 12 inning game. So the fans actually got to enjoy a regular length baseball game, not a shortened game because of the pitch clock. Um, Harris had a walk-off double after um, Acuna nailed the lead runner half inning before trying to tag up to third. I don't know why people try to run on Ronald Acuna's arm. It's a great arm. Um, The crazy thing is um, they actually intentionally walked Ozuna, which, again, we never thought we were going to say that this season. Michael Harris said after the game was having some good at-bats all game, so to see them walk Ozuna and want to have to face me kind of put a fire in my you-know-what. I got up there first pitch and tried to hit something hard, and I did. So um, the big thing I want to point out here, guys, when Atlanta took the series on Sunday, the Orioles had a streak of seven consecutive winning series that got snapped. So Orioles fans, it was a great series. They took game one. We took game two. It was a tightly contested thing. 9-4 was the loss, but game two was 1-5-4, game three, three to two. Um, Guys, that Orioles team is a good team. They're a lot of fun to watch. Um, and, uh, all I'm going to say is when the Orioles roll into town to play you guys this year, good luck. You're going to need it because that team might not, you know, make loud noises this year in that division with how deep it is and how good Tampa Bay has continued to play. But that team is ready to explode and be really good for a while to come. All right. So that's it for me. Uh, sorry that rambled a little longer than I wanted to Jason. How about your, uh, down on the farm update? Yeah. So let's see here. Get his little theme music going in here for Down the Farm now. So, uh. Yeah, let's go down to the farm, boys. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I-, I figured we have all these segments. I should try and get some music intro for Down the Farm. So I'll see if I can find it next week again. But we'll see. I just literally looked it up like 20 seconds before you told me to, that we're going down on the farm. But um, anyway, so down on the farm this week, uh, the hitter, um, we have two really good ones this week, guys. Uh, the hitter uh, this week is Ethan Wilson from the Reading Fighting Phils, the AA affiliate for the Philadelphia Phillies. He went 12 for 25, which was a 480 batting average. He had three doubles, three home runs, 11 RBI with one walk and one stolen base. Uh, Had a heck of a week batting almost 500s. 
And then the pitcher this week, there's no contest. Um, I'm going to butcher this name. Uh, Chi Young Lu. Uh, I believe they call him CJ based off of what I read. Uh, from the Portland Sea Dogs, the double-A affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. He went 1-0 this week. And that win was a seven-inning no-hitter on May 5th against the Akron Rubber Ducks. Uh, it was an 8-0 win. He had two walks and six strikeouts. And it was a seven-inning game because of a double-header. Um, but it still counts for the no-hitter. Um, it's the second no hitter in team history, and it came literally one day short of the exact day from the year prior when the first no hitter was thrown. Uh, 364 days prior, uh, Brian, Brian Bellow no hit Redding in a seven inning double header game. So, uh, really cool uh, to see a no-hitter in the minors. Um, yeah, it was seven innings, but nothing that they can really do about it uh, based on the doubleheader. So, uh, yeah, Ethan Wilson and Chi Young Liu, uh, this week's top players down on the farm. I've seen Brian pitch last year when he was uh, playing the Senators, and dude throws a lot of gas. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All right, so that Jason, one of my one of my favorite segments. I love hearing about these minor league guys because occasionally I'll get lucky enough and I go see the Senators play to see some of these guys later in the season. Yeah, and it's neat because we're going to see them up uh, with our clubs at some point. And uh, I also like seeing if I can. I just like seeing what the team names are too. Like I know we're familiar with some of the more popular ones, you know, aside from our teams, you know, we talk about rocket city all the time. We talk about Montgomery with the biscuits and um, it's just really interesting to see what teams come up with for their names. I I still love when um, Gwinnett changed from the uh, Braves to the stripers the number of people that thought they were turning it into the strippers, no, striped bass, the stripers. One P, one P, not two. Crazy what that one letter difference makes, and especially when you see the mascots of fish and you can't figure that one out. Yeah, if guy. they had, if they were, uh, I mean, they did miss an opportunity to have a promotion of like, you know, like a dollar bill promotion or something. But... <laughs> Jesus. Thank God the FCC doesn't care what we say. All right, <laughs> Joe, how about how about the uh, 25-year anniversary of Kerry Woods' 20th, 20-strikeout 20 game? Yeah, uh, that was on Sunday, uh, Sunday, May 6th, uh, or this weekend. Uh, it's 25th anniversary. The game was May 6th of 1998. Um, I remember that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Wood was drafted as we've, we've talked about Kerry Wood before, but he was drafted number one in 1995. So three years later, you know, with all of the Ryan and Clemens comparisons, he makes it to the Cubs, um, gave up one hit in this game, hit Craig Biggio. And then outside of that through, you know, 20 strikeouts in this game. When you think about the guys in this lineup, Jeff Bagwell, Brad Osmonds, Biggio, Berkman, I think. Moises Alou. I mean, to have yourself and, a game against those guys. And um, Ken Caminiti was still there. I think that was the year before he moved to San Diego. Yeah, Caminiti was still there. 
Uh, Jim Riggleman was the Cubs manager. Uh, Ricky Gutierrez was a shortstop for the Astros. He eventually, I think, went to play for the Cubs for a, a time. Um, the catcher in that game for the Cubs was Sandy Martinez. Um, and Larry Deeker was the Astros manager in that game. Crazy. Uh, it, there were 18 strikeouts going into the ninth inning. So, I mean, to have that much success through the eight innings, I still remember watching a good chunk of this game. It was on WGN at the time. Um, I, sometimes I miss the WGN days when they didn't have Joe Girardi as a commentator. Um, <laughs> now that Marquis has him there. But, yeah, I mean, look, it, that was such a fun game to watch in real time. And to think back on it now, um, you know, Pat Hughes, who's still the radio play-by-play guy, was in the booth for that game. Um this weekend, Obvious Shirts had him in for a signing day um, on on Sunday signing event. Um, they, he saw they saw a ton of Kerry Wood themed shirts there, um, and, you know. And 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 you know, Pat Hughes was involved in that too. He signed some. Uh, he had he had, he and Kerry signed the original scorecard, and I think there's been copies made of it. Um, and they sell those every once in a while as, as like an auction thing. Um, to, to remember that that game and it's just to, to hear Pat Hughes talk about it on the on the radio call Sunday um, you know it, it, he, he still remembers it fondly he thinks it's you know one of the top games he's ever called and um, it, it's really a shame that that's almost we caught a glimpse for an afternoon of just how good Kerry Wood was gonna be if not for poor management as you've read about in that book, Andrew, and then yeah. <laughs> stews me to this day, how poorly they managed that pair of aces uh, between him and Mark Pryor. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. They, they were, they were absolutely loaded and had way too much talent to do what, what happened to them. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, you know, yeah. you still carry throughout the first pitch on Sunday and, and it's really nice to see, um, you know, when they bring a lot of those guys back and, and how many fans who are, my age and even younger still remember that game, you know, know who Kerry Wood is. And it's just because he's such a big part of the organization and a lot of what could have been for a lot of us Cubs fans for years ago. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I said, I remember that game. Uh, I think me and Alex watched most of that game, if not all of it. What a day. I mean, I mean, he's 20 years old or 20 or 21 at that point, And you're, and you have, the best day of your career against Bagwell, Biggio, Alou, and in that lineup. That was nuts. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jason, uh, how about them Phillies? Uh, how about them Phillies? Um, so this is going to be a very quick because they don't even deserve a full recap. Um, I'm just, for most of the time, we're just going to go scores. Uh, against the Dodgers, they lost 13-4 game one. In Bryce Harper's return game two, they lost 13-1. And then they got swept the, the next day in game three, 10-6. Uh, uh, that was after spotting Aranola a 5-0 uh, lead in the first three innings. Uh, they lost on a walk-off grand slam uh, with uh tie game in, I believe, I think it was it was a Bob of the ninth or it was in the 10th. Um, I don't know. I don't care. Anyway, 
then they go to then they come back home. Uh, Bryce Harper's return to Philly uh, Friday night. They lost five to three. Um, and then uh, and the Red Sox are red hot coming into this series, too. Um, so Philly's lost game two, seven to four. A uh, couple notes here that I'll come back to that this one in a moment. Uh, they did win the finale six to one which ended their six-game losing streak, and it also ended the Red Sox' eight-game winning streak. Um, but back to game two. Uh, in this game, Bryce Harper did hit his first home run of the season. It was to left center field. It was very reminiscent of his uh, Bedlam at the Bank home run in the post in the NLCS. So it was a little closer towards center field. But the other big thing from this game that I did not realize happened until today, um, Matt Strom... And Cutter Crawford, uh, Strom of the Phillies, Crawford of the Red Sox, they had a national anthem standoff uh, after the anthem. Uh, Strom looked over uh, at Crawford, and just to remind everybody, Strom was a Red Sox player for the last year or maybe last couple years before coming over to Philly. And um, he looked over, saw Crawford looking at him, and Crawford gave him a grin, and Strom said, I knew immediately what that meant. Uh, so they stayed out on the field, uh, not moving after the national anthem. And both of them were ejected. And they were fined because of the pace of play. Oh, um, because it was an intentional slowdown of the game, even though the game had not yet started. Um. Strom wasn't even aware until that he was ejected until he went down the steps into the dugout after he was told, Hey, you got to go. Meaning he thought it was, Hey, just get off the field, go down. And he had won the standoff because Crawford was also told the same thing. And he left first. So <laughs> Strom starts going down the, into the dugout. Rob Thompson comes over and goes, Hey, uh, you got ejected. So you need to actually go to the clubhouse. Um, the love of Pete. <laughs> uh, and Crawford actually got fined more than um, the the amount has not been disclosed for either player. But Crawford got fined more than Strom because Crawford is on the 15 day injured list. <laughs> so. <laughs> right. So this... he's not allowed to be on the field to play, period. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Here's another like read the room. It, it's it's a fun it's a fun thing. Like it, it the fans it seemed like that they were into it because it was like oh who's gonna who's gonna move first who's gonna go first and then to, Strom wasn't gonna be pitching anyway that day I think because he had recently pitched. Now he has moved back to the bullpen um, with Ranger Suarez coming off the injured list this week. Um, but. Yeah, both players ejected and fined for deliberately slowing down the game, which that's, had it, which which didn't even start yet. That's garbage. <laughs> that, that, that's as no garbage. fun. No that, fun. Yeah, that's supposed to be the NFL. That's I mean, come on. That that's as bad as rating how efficient bat boys and bat girls are at doing their job of getting the field clear so the game can continue. Get over yourself, MLB. Really, 
Also, Jason, can I just say, Aaron Nola is the worst pitcher when staked with a lead of more than three runs that oh, yeah. I've ever seen. Like, one-run games, two-run games, three – he's smoke. He was, he was plus, spotted. He blows up. He was spotted a 5 nothing lead after three innings, and it was 5-3 after four or five. I mean, now, I now Alvarado <laughs> had a rare – game where he did give up the tying tying runs um and then i believe it was kimbrell that gave up the walk-off grand slam um but yeah like you're spotted five runs shut down the other team or just throw strikes like like Noah has like closer mentality. If he gets too big of a lead, he doesn't know what to do. It's like when you bring a closer in an unsafe situation. Yeah. Ugh. Well, sorry about the rough week. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very quick week. Uh, one and five, and that one win came on the final day of the week. I was really fully expecting after the first five games that it was going to be a win this week. Um. Yeah, and I think. Uh, Coupled, uh, coupled that with the Sixers struggling against Boston, and like at least both of them won on Sunday. Yeah, that would have just been brutal. Yeah. Hey, man, at least the Patriots aren't playing right now, too, or they probably would have figured out a way to beat the Eagles, too, just to rub. Oh, I'd be fine with that. I would, I know you're a Cowboys man, you don't care. Yeah. And, of course, also, if that hypothetical would happen, they would also make sure that all three games were going at the same time to uh, congest the sports complex even more. Yes, of course. All right. So um, I'm actually going to take bring out the good this week um, from Joe. This is a story I found. Um, Matthew Delaney. He's a freshman for the Texas A&M Texarkana. Um, He's. Um, one of their players, he was struck by a stray bullet on the field during the last weekend of April. He remains in the ICU with partial paralysis of his left leg among a bunch of really serious injuries. They still at this point have not been able to remove the bullet. It remains lodged near his spine. Um, He suffered two broken vertebrae. He can't move his left leg, although he's starting to regain some sensation. He can tell when someone's touching it and he can also occasionally wiggle a toe. I mean, that's that alone is huge right there. He also suffered a collapsed lung, which has started to improve. His mother, Amy, has said, quote, it's slowly inflating each day that that's gotten a little better. He still does have a chest tube to try and drain some of the fluid off it. Um, Texarkana PD noted the bullet was fired during a shootout in a nearby neighborhood. That bullet was just an errant round that traveled 400 yards and struck him. Mm. Just tragic. Yeah. Um, five people have been shot. That was a handgun too. Like we're not even talking about an assault rifle or anything high power. That was a handgun round that just got away. Um, but yeah, five people have been charged and the police are from everything I've read are pretty certain that everybody has been apprehended from this. Um, I, you know, I, all I want to say is I just, I just want to hope that we see continued improvement from him and that, even if he is never able to play again, that he is able to live as normal of a life as he can, because he was just standing out by the bullpen, do literally doing exactly what he was supposed to cheering on his teammates, staying loose, getting ready in case he needed to come in. 
and that that never should have even and yeah never should have been the thought in his mind and it, frankly it shouldn't have been ever yeah um i also have a braid out the good um Ooh, yay and it, it's one that i saw yesterday evening um it also comes from a tragedy um last night at the sixers game um james harden actually brought a had a michigan state student who was paralyzed in the shooting earlier this year at at the university um he got him out to a to bring him to the game and it was on sunday night and um his name was uh john howe and harden after hitting the game winner for the sixers uh had John come had John down to the court and he actually took his shoes off right then and there and signed his sneakers and uh, gave them to John as a gift. Um, So really cool moment there. Um, Again, it's from, it springs from tragedy, which you never want to see, but major props to James Harden for going above and beyond uh, for this kid as well. Yeah. James Harden actually read the room. Yeah. All right. So uh Jason, uh let let's hop let's hop ahead to a happier topic. Well, um there's Joe. The USS Cooperstown. Jo- oh, wait, or, or Joe, do you want to do your cubs? Go ahead, do let's do Cooperstown and then we can do the Cubs. All right. All right. Uh so uh go ahead, Jason. We have we have a new ship in the uh, in the naval group here uh called the USS Cooperstown. It was christened on Saturday by the Navy, uh, recognized all military veterans, including the 70 Baseball Hall of Fame members uh, who interrupted their baseball careers to serve in the military. Um, The ceremony did take place in New York City, and uh, Ted Williams and Bob Feller were remembered, um, especially because Williams did fly 37 combat missions in World War II and Korea. And... Uh, Feller missed four seasons so that he could serve in the U.S. Army. Uh, He enlisted after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, actually. Um, The USS Cooperstown does join the active fleet of Freedom Variant uh, LCS, which are the littoral combat ships. Uh, The Department of Defense described the LCS ships as fast, optimally manned, mission-tailored surface combatants that operate in nearshore and open ocean environments. Um, representatives uh, included Johnny Bench and Joe Torrey. Um, they uh, were there to represent the Hall of Fame members at, at the christening. Um, Johnny Bench did talk to USA Today before the event. He said, I can't begin to tell you what an honor it's going to be to represent the Hall of Fame. It will be an amazing, amazing thing. You look at guys like Ted Williams and Bob Feller and Jerry Coleman, who gave up all of those years of their careers and lives uh, in order to enlist and fight for our freedom. Uh, The staterooms on the 351-foot-long ship are going to be named after Hall of Fame members and will have a replica of their Cooperstown plaques on their doors, which is a really cool feature, I think. Um, And it's... It's really neat. Uh, the USS Constitution or Cooperstown, excuse me, USS Cooperstown uh, does uh, have a motto, which is going to be America's away team. 
So I love all the nods to baseball with this. Yeah, that, that that's a lot of fun. And honestly, a great way to honor those members because so many ballplayers enlisted in one of the services during World War II in Korea and gave up prime years to serve in their country. So that's a, that's a great way to honor them. Yeah. And that's going to be a fun ship to serve on uh, <laughs> for any sailors lucky enough to be assigned to it. All right, Joe, how about them Cubs? Yeah, let's talk about these Cubs. It was a bit of a mixed bag of a week, um, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, we had a four-game set with the Nationals, and we lost this series three to one. Um, yeah, not not super happy with this one. Um, the bright spot of this was Monday night's game, uh, a five-one win. Um, Swanson and Hap both homered, both on my fantasy team. Thank you very much, gents. <laughs> they can uh, take the week off this week. Yeah, uh, and uh, the the again the story for the Cubs this year continues to be really good starting pitching. And Drew Smiley was on the bump for this one: seven innings, six hits, one run, two strikeouts. So Smiley continues to really, you know, I don't know if it's if it's fooling people, but that curveball of his is nuts. That knuckle curve is absolutely brilliant to watch. Um, you know, and he's really just what I what I do attribute most of this to is is Jan Gomes behind the plate. He's been stellar as a catcher. The pitchers all love him. He he he. You know, pitchers had a, a better ERA last year with him behind the plate than Wilson. So that goes to show you that um, a you know it's sometimes it's the catcher. So you know he's he continued to pitch ball. They took that game five to one. Uh, Dansby was three for five, a homer, a double, two RBIs. So, um, game two, they lose this one four to one. Um, oh, for nine with runners in scoring position. You're going to sense a theme by the time this weekend is over. <laughs> this recap is over. Um, oh, for nine. Uh, Wes Nasty, <laughs> Hayden pitched real well, six innings, five hits, one run, two strikeouts. Um, we made Trevor Williams, who I really liked when he was a Cub. Um, you know, and then he was obviously part of the Javi deal to, to the Mets, um, and now he pitches for the Nationals. He went five and a third, four hits, four strikeouts, no runs, so we made him look really, really good on Tuesday. Um, on Wednesday, two to one loss, one for eight with runners in scoring position. Um, Stroman pitched well well enough, but um, the Cub bats just didn't bring it, obviously. Um, and then on Thursday, two for eight with runners in scoring position, a 4-3 loss. Uh, the Nationals had a 3-0 lead early, um, you know, and Assad, you know, came in, uh, pitched five five shutout innings for the, for the Cubs to kind of get them through. Tyone only went three. Um, and Boxberger threw one pitch, and the Nats walked it off. So talk about a, a, an awful start to the week. Um, for the Cubs, not not what you're looking for. Um, pitching gave them a shot, and offense didn't produce. So um, that's the story of of pretty much all week, but particularly the Nationals uh, series. Um, and then we get to uh, the weekend series with the Fish. I hope hope we don't play them too many more times. I'm getting tired of watching them. Um, <laughs> we've played them, I think, four. We've played them six or seven times already. Well, then you uh, should be done if you've got them home and away. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully yeah. we're done because I'm 
I'm about tired of this. But we got really we got really exciting news Thursday night. If you're a Cub fan, um, uh, during the, actually during the the game against the Nationals, the one they lost, uh, Matt Mervis was promoted uh, Thursday night and made his Wrigley debut on Friday. Um, Cub fans have been hoping for this for a while, and it you know they finally made some moves here. So uh, they take game one four to one. Uh, Steel on the bump, looking fantastic. Seven innings, six hits, one run, four strikeouts. Um, and Nico scored on a RBI single from Saya. Ian Happ had a two-run homer, who scored Dansby. Uh, Matt Mervis got an RBI single for his first major league hit in the eighth. Um, looked, you know, he had two or three strikeouts. I think he was one for four. You know, two strikeouts, one that was to somebody, and then he finally got through in the eighth inning. Um, Cabrera for the Marlins, if you haven't played against him yet, he's really good. <laughs> Scary yes. good. Yes, he is. Uh, yep. yep. Five innings, five hits, three runs, a walk, and eight strikeouts. Um, you know, so the Cubs were fortunate here to to get a win. Um but um, you know, of course, Cub, uh, Cub fans were ecstatic about Mervis, and and he's already you know paying dividends so far. Uh, game two, four-two uh, win. Uh, AJ Puck got the loss in this one. Only went a third of an inning, three hits and three runs uh, for the Marlins. Mervis had an RBI single again in this one. Uh, Nicky Madrigal had a two RBI single in the bottom of the eighth to take the lead. In this one, uh, give him a 3-2 lead. And then Miguel Amaya, who was one of their top catching prospects for many years and had a ton of injuries, has finally gotten a shot, and he had an RBI single um, in the eighth inning as well. Um, and it, there's a, a video of him before his interview after the game with uh, Taylor McGregor from Marquee, and he's singing Go Cubs Go. And they, they let him, like, they, they gave him the microphone for that part of it. And just to see... The energy there, his family was there all weekend. Like it was, you know, how, the, the, you know, how can you not be romantic about baseball? That's for sure. Yeah. It's really fun to see these guys getting a shot and getting an opportunity. Um, and then game three, uh, frustrating one, a five, four loss in 14 innings. Uh, here's Sandy, Sandy's line for this game. Alcantara eight and a third, nine hits two runs that were in the ninth inning before he came out, nine strikeouts, 113 pitches. Jesus. And you don't get the win. You, you blew, you blew it. It's tied two two. it goes extras and it goes back and forth with this stupid ghost runner bullshit. <laughs> um, Hayden pitched really well on this one. This is the best outing of the year. Uh, six innings, five hits, a run, six strikeouts. Um, the go-ahead run in this game on the 14th was scored on a bulk. Because, of course, it was. That's the only appropriate way for a game like that to end. No, and, and here's the worst part about this game. The running runners in scoring position number, three for 20. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. And okay. Hosmer still gets played appearances. <laughs> Not that and that's, that's why they went three for twenty. Three, three for twenty is just terrible. Yeah, that's that's straight garbage. 
Uh, well, Joe, things can only get better from here. Yep. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the uh, hot list here. Um, my three hot hitters for the week, I went with uh, two guys from Arizona, actually. First, Loris Gurriel, 571-684, runs scored, four homers, six RBIs, eight hits, five walks, and a strikeout. The other Arizona player was Christian Walker, 435, 458, one even on the slugging, eight runs, four homers, seven RBIs, 10 hits, a double, a walk, and three strikeouts. Then also, finally starting to heat up Dalton Varsho, 393, 419, 821, four runs, three homers, nine RBIs, two stolen bases, 11 hits, three doubles, two walks, three strikeouts. Before you say it, Jason, he's on my uh, fantasy team for my family, so I don't care that he's starting to heat up for you, too. No, I'm just going to say, I was just going to say, it's about time, Dalton. Yeah, yeah that too. That too. I mean, he, I, mean, he I care. Terrible April. <laughs> I care. Um, I'm playing Jason this week. Well, yeah, good luck with that. Um, so, uh, Jason, any other hot hitters you want to add to the list? I don't have anything else for this week now. Joe, any other hot hitters before the uh, Moneyball guy? Yeah, uh, Anthony Santander for the Orioles here. Um, 444, 483, 852, an OPS of 1335. Uh, seven runs on 12 hits, two doubles, three homers, nine RBIs. A walk, yeah, six strikeouts. Bad. So he had himself a week. Yeah, that's a week. That's a good week. <laughs> All right, Joe, who's your Moneyball Player of the Week? Uh, my Moneyball Player here is uh, Luis Robert for the White Sox. I don't know if he's still on your fantasy team, Jason, or did you drop him? I ended up dropping him because he wasn't doing anything. No, um, and and I dropped him when Harper came back off the IL. I would much rather have Harper on my team than Luis Robert. I, I don't blame you. Um, but but not this past week, apparently. He certainly had himself a week, thing. finally, yeah. for, for White Sox fans. I mean, they took maybe three or four games this week. I mean, that, that almost feels like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, he probably would have ended up doing that while on my bench. So I'm yeah. not really upset about it. Yeah. L- Luis Robert, his week, 526, 654, an even 1,000 on slug, and 1654 OPS. Woo. Uh, seven runs, 10 hits, three doubles, two homers, seven RBIs, five walks, and four strikeouts. It, it couldn't have come at a better time for the White Sox. Holy cow! Uh, you know, I could just hear it now. I, I could just hear the steam coming out of Jason's ears now if he would have kept him on and then realized how much he left on the bench because that's exactly what would have happened. Yeah, seeing him do that on my bench probably would have annoyed me, especially because knowing my luck, I would have put him into a starting position, then he would have done nothing. Yeah. Um, right. But they, they, they can't win for losing that, that, that club on the South side. I mean, Eloy wasn't hitting for crap anyway. And then he goes and gets his appendix has to get taken out. Yeah. Robert's been, been awful up until last week and he's won for three tonight. FYI. Yeah. But that's, that's it. Yeah. It's, it's been a it's been a rough go for them. I don't I don't know if how quickly they turn that around, but for for the sake of one of my starters who I almost refused to let go of, I hope he I hope they turn it around. Uh, it, I'll say if you're talking Dylan Cease, he absolutely did not tonight. Um, yeah. He went through got through five with only giving up four runs. It was tied four four going into the sixth, so he just needed to get those three outs to get the quality start for you. 
and he left without getting an out because he had the bases loaded with nobody out. And it is currently now twelve to four Royals. Oof, uh, Royals. C ended up get taking the hit for uh, seven earned runs in five innings. Joe, I'm just I'm just thrilled about that. Thank you, Jason, for that important to, update. I'll give you another update for you, Joe. Now it's early, so this will change. But it's current. I'm currently up fifteen to four. Yes, Jesus, I'm well aware. Jesus. I have to keep a track of it. <laughs> it will it will change, Joe. It will change. Don't worry. I, oh, I know, I know. And we'll see what I have to do at second base here the rest of the of the week. Uh, also true. N- Nico yeah. left the game a little bit ago, so. Oh man. Um, so anyway, uh, looking at the hot pitchers on my list, I've got Bryce Miller of Seattle, one and 12 innings, 15 strikeouts, 0.75 ERA, 0.42 whip, an earned run, four hits and a walk. Cal Quantrill of the Guardians, one and 14 in the third inning, six strikeouts, one, two, six ERA, 0.77 whip, two earned runs, seven hits, four walks and a home run allowed. And Bryce Elder of the Braves, one and 12 in the third innings, 10 strikeouts, a 0.73 ERA, a 0.89 whip, one earned run, seven hits, four walks. Uh, Jason, any other pitchers to add? All right. J- uh, Joe, any other starters? Yeah, I, I want to, you know, I, I obviously I'm wearing the shirt for the guy, uh, but I got to give Hayden, um, you know, credit for, for a hell of a week last week. Um, 12 innings, 10 hits, two runs, only one homer, and it was a cheap basket homer yesterday. Um, you know, you know how that is with Wrigley. And eight strikeouts. So, you know, he looked really good yesterday. He's really starting to get control of some things here as, you know, starting the year in the top, um, you know, in the rotation um, at at the major level. So he's starting to figure some things out, and I I continue to expect him to continue to do better. So, All right. And, Joe, who is your adulting reliever of the week? You know what? I, we're going to have two this week because it, they both had really excellent weeks. Um, Carlos Estevez from the Angels, three appearances, one and zero, and then one and one and one in save opportunities. Uh, three innings, one walk, six strikeouts, a point three three whip. Had himself a good week. Uh, but uh, the, the top of this list is uh, Camilo Duvall from San Francisco. Uh, four for four in save opportunities, three and two thirds innings, no hits, no runs, two walks, four strikeouts. That's that's a great. That's week. a week. That's a great week. All right. So uh, my hot teams uh, just for this week. Uh, two NL, two AL in the NL. The Braves, who still lead the National League in OPS. The Dodgers, who have been unfortunately uh, turning back into the Dodgers again. The Rays, who will probably be on the hot list most of the year, the way they've been playing. And uh, I had to throw the Red Sox on there. Uh, even though the Phillies were able to snap that streak, that was still one hell of a winning streak. Eight-game winning streak. Yeah, can't argue that. And, um, you know, I, I one thing I wanted to point out, I don't think I've ever seen a team go from our hot list to ice cold as quickly as the Pittsburgh Pirates have, as they, as they have lost eight straight games after going, what, eight and two, nine and one, something like that previously. So are the Pirates turning back into who we thought they probably were more likely to be? It sounds like, especially because of the teams that they're starting to play, yeah. um, 
they had a little bit of an easier schedule to start. So unfortunately, it seems like that they are turning back into the what you would expect from the Pirates. Yeah, too bad. They are fun to watch. Hopefully they can uh, at least get back to more average play. Um, uh, Jason, Joe, do you guys have any other teams you want to throw on the hot team list? Um, looking at, uh, this here, I would actually probably also throw, uh, believe it or not, the, uh, Detroit Tigers onto this. Uh, they are seven and three in their last 10. Uh, how, how about a, okay, good catch. How about a, uh, you know, debut start for your new team for Justin Verlander, you go in and play your former team and they hang two homers on you, like in the first or second or first or second inning they went back to back too i think yeah 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 thanks for reminding me for uh starting him in that game thinking uh the tigers suck he should be okay to at least get through it without too much damage if if it helps i had shirts the day before so yeah shirts got wrecked yeah sure did (laughs) um and i'm never upset to see old mad max get a little wrecked um yeah all right, so guys, looking at the uh, week coming up here, um, if my stupid page would load, <laughs> um, Atlanta's off tonight. They've got a mini series uh, at home against Boston Tuesday, Wednesday. That's going to be a good series. You've got uh, two incredibly hot teams facing off: Morton versus Pavetta, and then Braves or TBD versus Bellow. And then the Braves have an off day to travel to Toronto, where they will play three up north in Canada. Freed versus Bassett, although Freed's start may be pushed. Um, they're being a little being a little cautious with him right now. I'm not 100% sure what's going on there. Strider versus Berrios on Saturday, and Elder versus Kikuchi on Sunday. For the Cubbies this week, you have um, going on right now is a Stroman versus Mikolas against St. Louis, three at home. Italian versus Flaherty tomorrow. Steele versus Montgomery on Wednesday. My God, I, I I don't I'm not scared by anybody in that rotation right now for St. Louis, and then the weekend series Friday, Saturday, Sunday in the Twin Cities to face Minnesota Smiley versus Gray Wesniski versus who the heck knows and Stroman versus Varlin for the Phillies coming up. You have an off day today, a two game mini series at home versus Toronto Nola versus Manoa. That's going to be really good, Jason. And then Wheeler versus Gosman. Jeez, Jason, how the hell do you guys get the top two starters? Good luck with that. Good luck with that. And then yep, the Phillies are heading out for another West coast trip. Um, three at Colorado, Falter versus Gomber, Walker versus Feltner, Noel versus Freeland against the uh, owner believes 95 win Rockies, but we will uh, see about that. Hopefully this will be a week the Phillies can uh, maybe turn stuff around, even if it doesn't start so great with Toronto because uh, Jesus, dude, that that's wow. It's kind of just the, the story of their season so far like they just they're not catching breaks yeah um and i would not yeah i would not be surprised though to see potentially ranger suarez in there um maybe nola gets pushed back a day um because he's going to be ready so i expect them to insert him into the rotation this time around so maybe they push falter back or uh, i would expect to see ranger in there potentially I almost think it would make more sense to put Ranger in against the Blue Jays at home 
versus trying to make his first start in high altitude in, in um, the Mile High Stadium. You know, breaking stuff does not work well up there, and that's a big part of his game is good breaking stuff. So I, I, I think it would actually, even though it might be a sacrificial lamb kind of situation to put him against either Gossman or Manoa, um, it might be better to break him in there and save Nola or Wheeler for the Rocky series instead. But, yeah, I think he only you know. pitched like Thursday or Friday in his final rehab start. So I, I think it it just won't line up really for him to pitch in that series. Yeah, yeah, it's probably true. Too bad, too. He apparently looked really good. Uh, one hit in five innings, 85 pitches his last outing. So now, yeah. granted, that's against minor leaguers, but... Yeah. The team so, needs them. The team needs them back in the rotation. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. So that's it for this week. Um, you can find us anywhere. You can find your podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, etc. See us live on YouTube, Facebook Live, and Twitter. Merchandise at redbubble.com. Follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash dollardogsandbeer on the Twitter page at ddab underscore podcast. All three of us are also on Twitter. I'm at PyroLord314, Jason's at jricker 300 and Joe's at JoltonJoe35. We are presented by Dark Arrow Podcast LLC, and we are sponsored by Whiskey and Blade Barbershop and Littitz. Folks, may your dogs always cost a dollar. May your beer always be cold. Have a great night. We'll see you back here next week.